Hey there, it's me, Jesse Tyler Ferguson, that redheaded actor from Modern Family. I have a podcast. It's combining a couple of my favorite things, talking and food. Please join me as I dine with the biggest names in entertainment, people like Julie Bowen, Kristen Bell, Fred Armisen, and so many more. It's called Dinners on Me, and you're invited. Am I saying a chocolate souffle is going to get me to reveal all of my secrets? Yeah, I am. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. More than two years into his time in office, President Trump continues to face multiple legal challenges related to his private business. Several of those cases hinge on a set of once little-known clauses in the U.S. Constitution, known as the Emoluments Clauses. Essentially, these clauses aim to prevent American leaders from accepting gifts or payments or jobs from foreign or state governments. And one of those emoluments-related cases had a major development this week. On Wednesday, a federal appeals court dismissed a lawsuit. That suit claimed Trump is illegally profiting from foreign and state government visits to his luxury D.C. hotel. In other words, the lawsuit brought by the D.C. and Maryland attorneys general claimed that by accepting payments from foreign and state governments vis-a-vis his hotel, Trump is violating emoluments clauses. A three-judge panel said there was no legal standing for the attorneys general to actually bring the case. Their decision here also effectively stops related subpoenas seeking information into Trump's businesses. Now, the judges sided with the president, yes. But does that mean it's decidedly legal for foreign and state leaders to pay large sums of money to stay or host events at Trump's D.C. hotel? Or is the court ruling more complicated than that? And how does the latest decision in this case affect other ongoing cases related to Trump's businesses? Will any of these cases actually turn up documents and information about our president's private business dealings? Information he's fought so hard to protect? And here's why all of this is even more important. These ongoing cases, which could eventually reach the Supreme Court, mark the first time federal judges have interpreted the emoluments clauses and applied its restrictions to a sitting president. This is Can He Do That, a podcast that explores the powers and limitations of the American presidency. I'm Allison Michaels. help me untangle the legal details and the possible implications for our country, I turned to the Post's legal affairs correspondent, Anne Marimo. I asked her to start from the basics. What exactly does this emoluments clause in the U.S. Constitution say? So the emoluments clause is actually two clauses written into the Constitution. One is the foreign emoluments clause. The other is the domestic clause. And these were put in here to prevent foreign governments in Europe from influencing leaders of new early America. They really wanted to prevent America's leaders from accepting gifts and payments or second jobs from foreign governments. So specifically what the clauses say is that no person holding any office of profit or trust shall, without consent of Congress, accept any present emolument, office, or title of any kind from any king, prince, or foreign state. So that's the obscure language Mm -hmm. um, in the clause. So obviously this was written 230 plus years ago. So 
Have we seen it enforced today? Have courts ruled on it in recent history? There's not a lot of legal precedent or cases, especially not involving a sitting president. But these issues have come up over time, as recently as with President Obama, when he was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize. Uh, the Justice Department determined that he could accept the Nobel Peace Prize because it was put together by an independent committee, not sort of the official government. And separately, uh, President John F. Kennedy did not accept I think it was a honorary citizenship from Ireland when he was president. So we don't necessarily know what the legal consequences are for violating the emoluments clause. Well, what's being determined right now in court is the definition of what is an emolument um, right. before they can even determine whether or not President Trump and his businesses may be violating these clauses of the Constitution. What's going on in court is, uh, for instance, in one case brought by the attorney generals of Maryland and D.C., they just want President Trump to stop accepting these payments. I see. Um, the other case brought by Democrats, over 200 Democrats in Congress, they want President Trump to get their approval before he accepts payments from foreign governments. Um, and the language of the clause is pretty clear. It says, without consent of Congress. But what the Justice Department and President Trump say is that these are not emoluments. These are market rate payments for stays at his hotel, for instance, in D.C. So the penalty, I guess is what you're asking, is mm -hmm. is they want him to stop doing this without permission from Congress. So nobody's looking for declaration of wrongdoing that then leads to some sort of financial penalty or some other settlement along those lines? Well, they are definitely looking for a declaration from the court and an order from the court mm -hmm. saying that this is wrong and a violation of the Constitution. And what's so different here is that presidents in the past have put their businesses and finances into blind trusts. Here, President Trump has stepped back from day-to-day -day management of the business, but his sons are running the business and he can still draw on the profits. Okay. So then let's, using that information, talk about the case you referred to earlier brought by the two attorneys general, one from the state of Maryland and one from Washington, D.C. So we've seen this case focus on Trump's hotel in Washington, D.C., which is not too far from the White House. The hotel is housed in a building called the Old Post Office Pavilion, which is a government-owned building. So how does that arrangement work that Trump owns a hotel inside a government-owned building? The lease was negotiated before he took office. There's a provision there about accepting finances from the government, a second income from the government, essentially, while you're being paid to run the country. But the GSA, the General Services Administration, which operates and negotiated the lease for the old post office building, said that this arrangement is OK. So then he has this hotel in operation yes. and foreign leaders have come to stay at the hotel and they've held events there. And, and this is outlined in some of the specifics of this particular lawsuit. So can you elaborate on that? Tell me what what the lawsuit says the reason it was limited to the hotel is that that's what Judge Massetti in Maryland said at the district court level. He said that the attorneys general of Maryland and D.C. have the legal grounds or what's known as standing to sue the president because his hotel may be taking away business from other similar hotels in Washington or Maryland, like the Washington Convention Center, or there's a big Marriott Convention Center in nearby Montgomery County, Maryland. And so the concern is that foreign governments may be staying, choosing to stay and p pay for lots of rooms and meeting space at Trump's hotel to curry favor with the president. And that Montgomery County, Maryland and D.C. 
uh, convention centers may be losing out on business because of this. And what kind of amounts of money are we talking? How much money are these governments spending? Right. My colleague John O'Connell and Dave Farenthold have reported extensively on the foreign governments that are booking lots of rooms and meeting space, um, the governments of Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, Malaysia. For three years in a row, the Kuwaiti government has held a national day celebration there. And in uh, one event in 2017, for instance, cost between 40000 and $60,000. But the Justice Department has argued that those amounts don't count as emoluments. Right. They say these are just market rate deals, not emoluments, um, that the president should be able to have this independent business um, separate from his work. Hi, everyone. I'm investigative journalist Kylie Lowe, and I'm here to tell you about my weekly podcast, Dark Down East. Each episode, I take you to my home in New England, where we truly get to know the people at the center of the cases we dive into. Join me and dig into some cases you won't hear about anywhere else. Listen to new episodes of Dark Down East every Thursday, or check out the extensive catalog of existing episodes now, wherever you listen to podcasts. President. So I want to talk about how this case then has moved through the courts. So you mentioned at first they were granted legal standing or they were told by a judge that they had legal standing to move this case forward. But what what have we seen happen since? Yes. And then as significant, I, I think a lot of these cases are aimed at trying to get more information about the president's finances because he's not released his tax returns like past presidents and because we just don't know since these are privately held businesses. Um, so the judge did say they had standing. And then he allowed the attorneys general to issue dozens of subpoenas to federal agencies and to the president's private businesses to try to get at some of this information to find out, is he in fact violating? the emoluments clause. But then what happened, which was kind of unusual, the president appealed to what's called the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fourth Circuit based in Richmond, uh, Virginia, which hears cases from Maryland. And it said, this is such an unusual, such an extraordinary case that it warrants um, the appeals court intervening now. Even though the case and the litigation are just getting started, the president asked the appeals court, please, you need to intervene and stop this now. And that was likely to stop the subpoenas from going through. Well, that was up to the court. And the court did say, OK, we're going to put everything on pause because this is so unusual. And we're going to take a look at this case. And that's what we saw this week. So in March, they had oral argument. The Department of Justice, the president's attorney, and then the attorneys general argued before a three-judge panel about their two positions. And what decision did they come to? Just yesterday, we heard from the three-judge panel. And they ordered the lower court to dismiss this. They said that the attorneys general did not have standing, that there was not a significant enough connection and sort of it was very speculative about this harm to the attorneys general, that the financial harm that they had said they had um, had not been proven. And what do we know about the three judges on this panel? The attorneys general, Brian Frosch and Carl Racine, knew that this was not a very favorable panel from the oral argument. They were very skeptical. So I don't think it was a surprise to them when the court came out with this yesterday. Um, the three judges on the panel, Paul Niemeyer, Dennis Shedd, and Marvin Quattlebaum, uh, were all appointed by Republican presidents. Uh, Niemeyer by George H.W. Bush, Shedd by George W. Bush, and Quattlebaum by Trump. Um, President Trump has made a big point of trying to nominate lots of new judges to the federal appeals courts, and this was one of his newest judges. Okay, so to be clear, what the judges ruled was that these particular attorneys general don't have standing to bring this case up. They did not necessarily say that these 
exchanges weren't violating the emoluments clause. That's right. They only ruled on the standing issue, not on the underlying merits of the case. And the case is not over, even though they issued this ruling. It's a three-judge panel. And now the attorneys general can ask the full Fourth Circuit to take another look. It's called a, an en banc rehearing, which just means the full panel, not just the three judges. So that's a real possibility. I wouldn't be surprised to see them do that. And I wouldn't be surprised to see then you know, the president take this to the Supreme Court if things don't go his way. How would it move from where it is now to the Supreme Court? The first step would be for the attorneys general to ask the full Fourth Circuit to do a rehearing. And on something this significant, it's something that they would look at seriously. So we might see a whole nother oral argument scheduled with new briefings things and they'll try to do it as quickly as possible. But quick for the courts is very different from quick for us. So Mm -hmm. that would take probably months. So this isn't the only emoluments case facing the president. There's another case moving forward from about 200 congressional Democrats, as you mentioned, that broadens out from just the D.C. hotel. What are the grounds of that, Sue? What does that focus on? The theory in that case is, is different from this one because it's brought by members of Congress. They say President Trump is violating the emoluments clause because he's accepting these payments without having first received approval from Congress. And so they say they have standing based on that because the language in the clause actually mentions approval from Congress. One question I have is the cases brought by more than 200 Democrats in Congress is whether they can do that on their own um, Mm -hmm. without the entire Congress acting together. So I'm sure that's going to be a question going forward. And that case um, has moved forward from the D.C. District Court, where the judge said that it could move forward and they could issue subpoenas for the president's information. Um, But now the president has appealed to a different appeals court, the D.C. Circuit here in Washington, asking them to please step in and, and block this case. The D.C. Circuit has just set briefing schedule for each side to file its arguments. And I think one of the first things they'll have to decide is if they are going to review this, will they similarly stop the subpoenas that have just started going out? So just this week, the congressional Democrats started sending out subpoenas to Trump's office buildings and hotels and other properties. And so the D.C. Circuit if they decide to take the case, may want to put those on pause first. And then I think we'll see them schedule oral argument um, and we'll go through this all over again. One thing I never understand about the timeline with these things is, is it sort of a race between whether or not they can fulfill a subpoena before the court rules on it again? Or is there like a specific timeline laid out for when the subpoena must be filed? Right. So the the judge in the congressional case set a three-month schedule for what's called discovery, which just means each side sharing evidence and issuing subpoenas and taking uh, depositions, which are interviews. And he said that all of that has to be done by September 27th. So I think if you're a Trump organization, you're waiting to see what the D.C. Circuit does before you start complying with the subpoenas. Right. So you're going to hold off before you give anybody any information about your private business. Right. I mean, I think that's what we were seeing the president do in all of these cases. And there's several others involving congressional subpoenas, which are being fought in the courts. And they're all about trying to stop that from happening. So at what point could we see some of that private business information, some of those subpoena information come out? When would we see that? If the D.C. Circuit allows this to go forward, even as it's 
weighing the merits. We would see that after September sometime. I mean, this information would be submitted to the court, and I'm not sure how much of it would become public. So it's it's sort of a long ways away. And the Democrats have made a point that they're a little bit worried that some of this information might not come out with advance of the 2020 election. Right. I think a lot of the Democrats view these as delay tactics and the appeals and the trying to get things stopped as, as a way to push it off for as long as possible. Are there any other indications of why the Democrats might be pursuing this? Yes. I mean, they say these cases and also some of the other oversight cases we're seeing about subpoenas, they say this is about transparency to know who's influencing the president um, and so that they can hold him accountable. And at this point, do we have any information about why Trump is holding these things so tightly? I think he feels that these are his privately held businesses and that Congress should not be interfering with his ability to have those businesses and that this is not related to legislation. He says it's about political harassment. How has Trump just generally publicly been responding to these emoluments cases? Yeah, I didn't I wasn't sure that he was really paying attention to it. But um, yesterday, soon after the opinion came out, we got our story up. Um, There was a tweet from the president uh, reacting to this one. um, As there is for most things. (laughs) And uh, yes, he referred to this lawsuit as ridiculous and part of the deep state Democrat induced witch hunt. And then he made a point to say, I don't make money, but I lose a fortune for the honor of serving and doing a great job as your president, including accepting zero salary, which we pointed out. He has stepped back from his day-to-day management of the business, but he does still receive, he can draw on the profits from those businesses. And his children can as well. Yes, they're running, his sons are running the business. Okay, then what else might we see this summer in regards to cases involving Trump's businesses? Right. So the two emoluments cases are not the only avenues for um, the Democrats to get at this closely held financial information from the president. There's two other lawsuits going on this summer. One, the president has sued his own accounting firm, uh, Mazars, to try to stop them from complying with a subpoena from Congress, from the House Oversight Committee. And so that case is going to the D.C. Circuit this summer. And that's over subpoenas for, again, financial information, but from the president's accounting firm. Similarly, the president and his children have sued one of their biggest lenders, Deutsche Bank and Capital One in New York, also asking them not to comply with congressional subpoenas from the House Financial Services Committee. Um, That will be argued um, at the Second Circuit Appeals Court in August. So essentially now we have all of these cases moving through the courts that hinge on the emoluments clauses, these pieces of the Constitution that were once little known. Are there any larger implications for our country on the courts weighing in on these clauses, this piece of the Constitution now? Yes, I think all these cases really are about the separation of powers and government, the balance of control in our government between Congress and the president. Um, And whatever the courts decide now will have implications for generations to come. All right, Anne, thank you so much. Thank you. This has been another episode of Can He Do That? For more information on how all of the legal pieces of these emoluments cases play out and what's to come, visit WashingtonPost.com. Thanks so much for listening. Can He Do That? is a team effort here at The Post. It's produced by the incomparable Carol Alderman, with design help from Kat Rudell-Brooks, logo art from Loren Boglio, and theme music by Ted Muldoon. There's always more to the story. 
I'm Leanne Caldwell, anchor of Washington Post Live. Each week, we bring you inside conversations between the newsroom and the people we cover. From global leaders enacting change to cutting-edge artists redefining our culture. And we make you and your questions part of every conversation. Listen to Washington Post Live wherever you get your podcasts and watch on demand at WashingtonPostLive.com.